This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer, teacher, songwriter, and podcast host Ben Hiltzinger. Ben is a Los Angeles-based drummer and songwriter with 20-plus years of performing, recording, and teaching experience. He's currently the drummer for Eve Six, and Ben has also written, recorded, and toured with many artists internationally. In addition to performing and teaching, Ben is the director of artists and client relations for Big Fat Snare Drum and hosts the podcast Big Fat Five. To find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done on Working Drummer Podcast, you can go to workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, as well as iTunes, where you can rate and review this podcast. This helps us grow. This helps us reach new listeners and put on a better podcast for you. So find us on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast. We're also on Stitcher and Spotify. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I have been doing here for over six years, you can find us on patreon.com slash working drummer for as little as a dollar per month. You have access to the educational material that we provide on our Patreon page provided by former guests. If Patreon isn't your thing, we have a PayPal button on our website, workingdrummer.net. You can go there and donate. We appreciate all the support over the years that we've gotten from you, our listeners, and we are excited about what 2021 is bringing to the table, and we hope you are too. This was a super fun interview talking to Ben. Uh, being that he has experience as a podcast host, it was fun to relate with him in that way. Uh, I took some time to kind of edit and post and kind of stay focused on things that hopefully all of uh, you will can relate to. And uh, recently on a Facebook uh, community board, somebody was asking about uh, working in Los Angeles, and I, I tried to bring that to the table, and uh, Ben does a great job kind of laying out the landscape of what it's like in Los Angeles. Uh, he's done such a great job kind of spinning many plates and figuring out what excites him about music and drumming and education and, and, and getting involved in Big Fat Snare Drum. And I could tell by his tenor that being a podcast host has also been an exciting uh, creative outlet, as as I have discovered myself. And it is, it's, it's a lot of fun. And again, we talk about how there are so many podcasts right now. But I don't know. To me, that's exciting. That It's just this growing field of information that even five years ago we didn't have access to. We are honored to be part of this community and to add to uh, this ongoing conversation about the things that we love, all drums, music, and relationships and all these things. So Ben's enthusiasm and talent uh, was just an, another reminder of why we do what we do. And I encourage you to check out Big Fat Five. He does a wonderful job. So hope you enjoy my conversation with Ben Hiltzinger. Hey, Black Nova, 
Speaking of shows, we just got Leave Six. Uh, it's not official, but we got a show offer in June, and I was like almost crying. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm actually going to play a show to people. Well, it was a mixture of joy and like very like uh, nauseous feeling because I'm like, I haven't played a show for 90 minutes since like January of 2020. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have the endurance anymore, you know, because usually my practicing is like a few hours, but it's 10 minutes of playing. And then, you know, if I were to record myself, be 10 minutes of maybe doing a paradiddle diddle and then just silence while I'm on Instagram. And then you can hear me making tea in the background for about 90 minutes. Um, Yeah, it's not looking forward to that. I have a studio at my spot right now. And, you know, like everyone was trying to oh, be more... I'll be a home recorder, you know, I can, I'll, I'll be able to do remote tracks. And so at the beginning of the, of the pandemic, I invested in a lot more um, some microphones, outboard gear, and just set up the gear I did have to be as efficient as I could. And I was just not liking how I was playing. And so it actually, because I had James Gadsden on the show, maybe mm. four months ago, maybe not even that long ago, but knowing I was going to have him on eventually and knowing he was kind of one of like my white whales to get for the show... Yeah, um, yeah. I, li- I listened to a lot of Motown stuff because I, I really wanted to be able to hang with them and make, you know, show references and, oh my gosh, and yes. blah, blah, blah. And so I really got into Motown and just kind of re-got back or re-got back into, <laughs> re-got into, uh, I revisited, I'll say that. Um, I'm leaving all I this talk, <laughs> I only talk for a living. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but... I got it back into Jim Gordon, Levon Helm, yeah, you know, er, early Keltner, and it was just it totally made me realize that's the kind of drummer I want to be as I get older. I want to be in that band that can play theaters and and just if just play softer. And I and I made me realize that being that kind of drummer is so much harder than this drummer that I am right now, which is I I hide behind a lot of showmanship and sweat and hair. And uh, it's it's been so fun because not only does it make me re-inspired every time I sit behind the drum set, because I'm totally not that drummer right now, mm. but um, it also just makes me know that I'll have longevity if this is the route I'm going to take. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember you yeah. talking about that in one of your episodes, and, mm-hmm. and, and it really helped me reevaluate kind of where I'm at, being older than you, but also... Like, okay, now how do I want to do this? Because there was a time when I was younger and I was playing more jazz and I was playing. So in the 20 years that I've been in Nashville, my playing's gotten heavier, less nuanced. And Mm. as a lot of us are spending more time recording ourselves and spending more time in general hearing recordings of ourselves, I'm realizing in hindsight the value of those nuances because mm-hmm. uh, when you are playing some sort of ghosting around the kit or a rhythmic part with dynamics, those small notes, those light notes that take a light touch, they still have to be in time. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if you're used to bashing if you're used to, you know, like, and that's a skill. I mean, I'm taking, not taking anything away from that. And that's, that's an amazing oh, skill for the, for the players that can do it really well. Totally. But again, the references 
that you're talking about, I mean, these were some of the more heavily recorded people. And as I've learned over time, you don't have to hit the drums hard to get a great tone in the studio. If any, I mean, more often than not, it's the exact opposite, Yeah, you know, and a lot of times the heart, if you hit it hard enough, it actually chokes it out and you're getting diminished returns. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you look at those great players like Levon, Gordon, J- Jim Gordon, Keltner, they're barely touching it. But just if you trust the engineer and they have good compression, uh, then if you don't hit the cymbals and everything as hard, they can bring up those room mics, they can bring up those overheads, and then it makes your drums sound bigger. I mean, it, there's it's a whole algorithm when it comes to it, and in no way have I figured it out. Because again, my instinct is always just to bash, bash, bash with no dynamics, you know, just rim yeah. shot, rim shot. But uh, yeah, it's so fun when you can do it soft and you listen back to yourself and you actually enjoy what you hear. It's mm-hmm. the craziest thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, this I, I can actually listen to myself now. Well, exactly. It, to, to add to real quickly to what you're saying is we, we had yeah. kind of a best of on our 300th episode and we included uh, an episode we did last year with a Nashville uh, session and uh, producer, Grady Saxman, who runs his own studio. And I questioned him at length about working in a home studio and like the limitations of small rooms that we have. And he talked about that very thing is being is if you want the room to sound bigger, play softer. It's exactly. Like, you know, it's like being in a, um, a racquetball court, and if you throw the ball slow, by the time it comes back to you, that phasing issue is less of a problem with microphones. If you're playing hard, it's like whipping that ball in the court, and it just is bouncing all over the place, and then you have phasing issues, and the drums don't bloom, and that was like that was one of those things that I'm sure you experience as a podcast host. Where mm. they can't hear on the microphone. Of course, I know you're doing some video sometime, but they don't. They don't hear the mouth. My mouth. My jaw dropping. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Going. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing too for small rooms is I realized that if you don't have a super treated room and it's super small, I actually think that dynamic microphones as overheads work a little better. Because for me, condensers are supposed to pick up the space. And if your space sucks, mm-hmm. just get a dynamic microphone. It's more directional. And uh, I'm probably the last person to give advice on this. But at least for my room, <laughs> I found that dynamic microphones actually sound better as overheads in shitty rooms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man, I've used a 421 as a room mic. And oh yeah, I'm like, I like this better than... Yeah, I'm with you, dude. I'm with you. I'm still in the yeah. process of rebuilding a larger space, but my space is pretty small. That's currently in use. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun to just uh, figure it out, and uh, I have not, so. <laughs> well, in, in, in speaking with Liberty uh, last week, uh, or with, yeah. Yeah, it was, just yeah, it was last week, yeah. This was last week that you that, that aired. Um, I guess not knowing when this will come out, but it was, uh, yeah, the week of the 22nd or something of February. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I mean, you, let me let me see what I had written down here. Um, it, you, you, you talked about a lot of times drummers work on things. Oftentimes we work on these things that we're never going to use. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I understand the idea of like, 
working at 120% so that when you need to be 100% on the gig, you can do it. Ben Caesar years ago on when we first started the podcast talked about who plays with Brad Paisley, great yes, Nashville Yes, love, love Ben. Yeah, he, he talked about it's like you can drive, uh, you know, an old jalopy to work or you could drive a Ferrari. They're both going to get you there, but the Ferrari is going to be so much more fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Just this idea of like really pushing the envelope in the practice room so that when you're on the gig, you can, you know, excel. But that really wasn't what you were talking about. What you were talking about was like working on ideas and concepts that don't really apply to who you are as a drummer, mm-hmm. to your choice, your chosen path. And yeah, this kind of ties into what you were talking about, which 2020 has somewhat afforded you is this opportunity to discover and through probably through the podcast as well is who you want to be what kind of drummer you want to be and be intentional about that and so my question to you is what are you doing now to be be that drummer uh yeah so to kind of embellish a little bit on 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 my point from that podcast was just uh I, and this will be just a personal experience. Uh, I'm not saying drummers in general, but me, I practice a lot on these things that, you know, I see on, on YouTube videos and, uh, I never want to be that drummer that in the session they go, can you do this? And I say, I can't do that. I've never practiced this style, but that has happened to me 0.001% of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you spend so much time on these things that you think you want to learn. So you don't have that, you know, crazy scenario and so you you practice all these things yeah and then when you get in that scenario that they're never asked for you end up using them more and become this busy drummer because like well i just spent all night working on this lick um and so that's what i was realizing i was taking inventory of my practicing and my favorite drummers what do they what speaks to me about my favorite drummers and it's them just being mature and making the right choices and so for me it wasn't about the, doing the best lick or impressing the the next drummer or like if I'm playing to X amount of people there might be three drummers in the crowd why am I playing to those three people as opposed to the crowd and most people just want to hear a good groove and choices that they don't expect that's mm-hmm. what makes bands that people go oh I've got to listen to more of this record because it's not just how I think they're going to usually do it and so I was talking to Liberty about his his favorite drummer or one of his favorite drummers Dino Donelli from the rascals about how he can make the simplest choices, but for some reason that's what makes you stand or the, the hair is on the back of your neck stand up. So to answer your question, cause I know I go on tangents a lot. <laughs> it's try, I try and practice on how can I make better choices? Yes. Like, cause that's what will make people <laughs> want to, you know, the re-listenal or re-listen value. Um, and, so yeah, that's that's kind of what I I would consider listening to playlists. Uh, I force myself to not listen to the same song twice. Um, a lot of times, like you know, everyone has their their top five records they go to. I consider listening to music I've never heard before part of my practice because it makes me make choices that I never do before. So while I am playing softer in general and trying to go more towards that Jim Gordon, Jim Keltner. Steve Gadd, yes, but I'll be the first to say I actually am not as well rehearsed with Steve Gadd stuff as I should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the Levon Helms, James Gadsons, those guys, just their simple choices that 
especially Jim Gordon. He's he's basically number one for me. Okay. And uh, uh, You're So Vain, that song, is, mm-hmm. uh, is just a textbook example of how – I'm sure that song was just a piano part um, that they just played for him. And the way he brings that song up and then builds it up into the chorus with the toms and just that song goes up and down so many times and – that's the kind of drum parts I always want to write. They're not crazy. They're not technically, you know, stimulating, but they're stimulating more than anything else I can think of. And I um, think that song is about yeah. me. <laughs> Actually, yeah, it's about me, man. Oh, I got it. That yeah. was about me. Um, <laughs> well, one of the <clears throat> sorry, one of the great examples in your interview with Liberty was uh, the James Taylor track with Russ Kunkel playing mm. Brushes, and yeah. Uh, I, I've been a fan of Russ Kunkel before I knew his name, uh, and it's from all those tracks. Uh, and and he's an example of somebody that plays, you know, with that finesse, that approach. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a great Lyle Lovett record. <sighs> I wish I could remember uh, right before he started his big band, but uh, in the early 2000s or late 90s that he's on, um, mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite kind of country records when I was starting to try and learn how to play country music. Cause I'm like, okay, I live in Nashville. I should start learning some country. That was a good one. <laughs> Cause it's like through, through the eyes of Russ Kunkel. Um, that was a good approach. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah I, I recommend that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that's great, man. I, and, 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 there's so many players that we hold in such high esteem that have that approach. So many of those players that you've mentioned throughout history, but then even some modern modern jazz players like Bill Stewart or, of course, mm-hmm. Matt Chamberlain constantly comes up in conversation uh, with that you know uh, somewhat approach. You know, and I remember speaking because he works in Nashville quite a bit and I've worked mm-hmm. with some producers that have worked with him as well so I'm always picking their brain and I remember the, one of the first conversations I had an opportunity to speak to the producer he was like he doesn't hit very hard and he plays with these small sticks and I'm like what you're supposed to like really and he's like no but that's his thing and yeah I'm like and he's working you know just turn the preamp up a little bit that's like you know it's yeah <laughs> Well, and like Joey Warrenker is the same way. He's told a story about when he first started touring um, that all the sound guys, you know, it went, b- b- before they had their own sound guy, they'd be like, hey, can you hit the snare? And he hits it. And they're like, dude, you got to hit the snare. My gate's not, you know, even picking it up. And he's like, well, then change your gate, you know, like this is mm-hmm. how I'm going to play for the show. So he didn't say it like kind of aggressive like I just did. Joey's a very nice guy. But uh, yeah, it's just you have to. <laughs> You don't have to bash it, you know? You can you can play soft. That's how you want to play. Just be consistent with it, you know? We saw him with Roger Waters a few years ago, and mm. it was just glorious. Just wonderful, man. I just is kind of a tangent, but I just saw that uh, during the holidays, my, my girlfriend's dad played. It wasn't, um, it wasn't Pink Floyd, but it was the 1990 The Wall, that huge concert. Oh, the Live, in, uh, uh, live at Berlin. Yeah, I just saw that, and oh my God, what a show. What a show. Man, I remember when that VHS came out. And this is crazy. Uh, years ago, my my boys discovered my box of cassette tapes, and they pulled out uh, The Wall Live in Berlin, 
and mm-hmm. be, and my older son became obsessed with it, and it was the only version of the Wall he would listen to. Uh, well, I I agree with your son. He's he's got great taste. That it was recorded so well. Well, uh, okay. So, as opposed to listing all the podcasts that you've been on, can you? I imagine the the podcasts you haven't been on might be a shorter list. Uh, <laughs> you've been. I get around. Yeah, you um, do. That's great. It's getting yeah. It's a bit of an issue. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm giving you shit about that um, for <laughs> fun. But I, I, I just, it, it, it brought up something that I've, as, as Zach and I have kind of just been plugging along and, and, and doing what we can and what we want with our podcast. It's been six years since we started this thing, and congrats, man, that's so cool. Thank you, man. And, and at the time, I. Uh, you know, it didn't seem like there were a ton. There were some pretty significant drummers resource. I'd hit that. Uh, some other thing, drum talk TV, I think was, was, was rocking for sure. Um, but the whole podcast thing has exploded. Mm-hmm. And, um, Zach and I have, have an, I mean, he's been a, an amazing, uh, partner in this thing. And, and one of the things that I appreciate about him so much is, is like, we, this is a part of what we do, but we, we have to prioritize, you know, our own careers, our families, different things like that. This is a kind of a yeah. side thing. And if we, if we can benefit from it in, in one way, career wise or whatever, that's great. But that's not, that can't be our sole purpose, uh, you know, in the way that, you know, Chris is involved in Big Fat Snare Drum, you know, like 24 mm-hmm. yeah. 7. In that, <laughs> 25 7, if you ask me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We get into that. Hardest working guy I know. I love that. Sometimes I think it's becoming oversaturated, but at the same time, it's so easy and it's a wonderful opportunity for people to find a creative outlet and create content, whether it's a podcast yeah. or not. Mm-hmm. But if you want to create a podcast or something unique, a YouTube channel, something like that, are there ways that people can stand out from just very oversaturated environment? Uh, I would say, well, I mean, I'll, I'll give, I'll say my experience as an example. So, uh, our podcast is, or my podcast is called Big Fat Five. Yeah. Um, but it didn't, it didn't start out like that. So I wanted to ultimately, the goal for us in the podcast as a business is to bring more people to know about Big Fat Snare Drum, hopefully add free value to people through the podcast. If that gets successful, that's great. And then more people that would just listen to podcasts but not know about Big Fat Snare Drum would go there. So that was kind of the initial motive for us. Um, But when I first started it, I mean, it was an idea that me and Chris, he's just like, just run with it, man. Just kind of release them, figure it out as you go. And it was called just the Big Fat uh, big fat snare drum podcast. And I was kind of like a chicken with my head cut off. I was like, well, maybe I'll do drum shop showcases. Cause I was touring at the time a lot. Um, and then we'll bring in like behind the companies. Like we, uh, interviewed Scott from tackle the bald men guys, which, yeah. which we love. And I was trying to figure myself out and like, what kind of podcast is this while releasing them in real time? Um, but to point on exactly what you were saying, there are so many podcasts out there when it comes to drumming, especially, and you guys are killing your little, you know, section of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to help you guys, I won't name all the competitions, but there's a lot of other drum podcasts that all have their kind of unique voice. And I was like, okay, I don't consider myself the best interviewer. The I don't, I'm kind of an introvert. And so I don't think I'm necessarily the best, you know, 
uh, can pull the best journalistic questions out of people. Like, you know, the guy from trap set, Joe just pulls out like really dark, <laughs> but needed stuff that people are going through stuff. It's like, that's a really cool angle he took, um, to talk about struggles and stuff. And so I was like, well, what the hell's my, my angle. Yeah. And so I realized it's like, if you make a podcast of the content that you would digest, then that's kind of the, that that's what you'll excel at. Um, and so I will get back to more of what Big Fat Five is, but I'll tell the story of of this John Mulaney stand-up where hmm. he was talking about at the beginning of his career, he uh, would try and make jokes about his dad because, I mean, that that's a big part of his comedy. And he was scared that if he got too specific that he would alienate a lot of people. So he was making all these general dad jokes and they weren't really doing that well. I mean, he's still John Mulaney, but they weren't really killing it. And then he's like, okay, I'll switch it up. I'm going to say stuff that's so specific to me and my dad that's so niche And it just, it just started killing because people were like, okay, I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly that relationship, but my dad said, you know, does something similar to that. Yeah. So in a weird way, the more specific you get, the bigger audience you'll actually mm-hmm, mm-hmm. reach because you're being really vulnerable and you're, and you're yourself and every, everyone can relate to, you know, parallels of your specific example. And so with me, I, I literally, when I'm going to sleep, I go down YouTube videos of influences. Like I don't, I don't necessarily want to know, study my heroes so much. I study my heroes influences. Those are the kind of things that I just geek out on because then you can funnel that same creativity that they used through your own perspective. And so with the Big Fat Five, I was like, well, what if I just interview my favorite drummers? And again, you guys and all the other podcasts are getting the stories of the drummers and how they navigate the world. So I don't need to do that. That's not Mm -hmm. what I'll stand out with. But what, what I could stand out with is be very focused in influences with specific examples, timestamps of songs, fills. And so that's kind of what that's my angle yeah is because that's what i really care about you know i i want to know what records they listened to growing up and why they have this weird hi-hat technique that like where the hell did you get that and a it's helped me meet people like i mean i have some of my some of the podcast guests i've had are now friends that i text and it's just like insane to me that i'm like (laughs) you are in a way a a big reason why i do a lot of what i do and now i can just joke with you right um and then and then, yeah, they force me, you know, their influences is they, I'm introduced to songs I've never heard of and, and drummers I've never heard of. I just had Matt in class on um, the other day and she was talking to me about the drummer for uh, 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 Hiatus Coyote, uh, who is, his name is uh, Perrin Moss. And I've just been going down a rabbit hole of his playing and it keeps me inspired. So even if no one was listening to the podcast, I would still record the podcast. Right, right, right. Uh, Because it's just me interviewing people and having an excuse to talk to them. (laughs) Well, I don't know if that answered your question, but I guess just get... What kind of podcast would you want to listen to and then make that podcast? It's it's really as simple, but as hard as that. Well, you, you, you answered the question through your example is like... This is how I do it. And I mean, a couple of takeaways from this, man. First of all, I enjoy listening to you interview. I know what it takes to put together a podcast. And I, it, 
I, I, I have admitted this before. I don't listen to a lot of drumming podcasts. I produce one. I edit one. Um, a lot of the podcasts I listen to are history or comedy or entertainment. Me too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it's interesting. Um, but, you know, oftentimes, you know, there are there are those that that catch my attention or, you know, so I mean, I've I've dug into probably 10 of your episodes and and then of course in preparation for our conversation kind of got caught up a little bit listening to Kirky B and uh and Liberty who I'm a huge fan of and mm-hmm. and going back to the like the the interviews or the the episodes that you've produced with Chris uh is that how you say his last name Mazarisi, yeah, I don't say it that often, but I think that's how you say it. <laughs> Mazarisi, so so yeah. the the founder of Big Fat Snare Drum. It, mm-hmm. There's a um, there's an honesty, there's a chemistry as being friends, and a vulnerability that, that, for example, in the conversations that I've heard with you guys, that was that came off as a very genuine and enjoyable to listen to the way you guys were trying to figure things out and like, and then his struggles as a business person. Um, that was, that was nice. Uh, that was just comfortable to hear. Uh, then uh, shifting gears into the, your conversations with like Kurt Biscara and Liberty, this very comfortable, like, not like, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, you joked about, um, you know, the Chris Farley thing. Do you remember that time uh, when you play with Elton John? Um, yeah. You know, that's hilarious, but you, 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 were, you, you were hiding it you, you, very much that you were like geeking out over Kurt Biscayne. Yeah. Um, and uh, not, not that you have to, um, but uh, I think... The, the, the thing that you you do is you you have there's a there's an excitement in your voice there's this very positive energy and I, I i feel like your listeners take that away and by the time they're done listening they're like yeah yeah this is gonna be great i love this i'm gonna do this now i'm gonna go listen to this record i'm gonna go dig in deeper to this blah blah, blah. so it's it's well, good thank you, you do so great much job, man. man honestly that i sincerely uh from the bottom of my heart really appreciate you saying that so thank yeah, you yeah man I, I i just i just really it, i've told my wife i said man i really dig this guy he's just he's, he's just <laughs> it's just this honest and, and it's it's really good um I, again i apologize to all my, my the, the the community here and i strongly believe that the podcasting community that that produces these drumming like you know, we don't necessarily prefer them as, as competition as much as the community the way drummers do, because drummers are just the best when it comes to this. And everybody has 100%. kind of found their niche. And and with that, I mean, we have strived to get away from just the timeline story of that, because there are podcasts that do that. And we did that at the beginning. And mm-hmm. like, we like to know history, we like to know how it relates, but we're not going to start at the beginning all the time and say, when did you start playing drums? But like, yeah. reevaluate what the word working drummer means and why did we call it that? And it's, it's like, it's nice to have Peter Erskine on, but I want to talk to blah, 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 who's no one, no one has ever heard of, but has made his living at playing drums for the last 20 years, because that's mm-hmm. kind of what, what a lot of our listeners are doing. And then they need to go and listen to big fat five and hear these audio examples, which is brilliant. So explain, if you can, two things for me or for our listeners, what, what the big, why it's called Big Fat Five, this format that you've created, 
And then also, do you have to deal with any copyright issues when you play these songs? <laughs> well, to answer the answer to answer your, the second part of yours, I have no idea, and I'm really afraid of that one day I get the email like, "Oh yeah, your podcast can't happen anymore." <laughs> See, I don't think that um, they might they might just have to take some things down. I think there's a there's like a you can play 30 seconds or something like that or 50. Yeah, minutes. I try I try and keep it under, but it's also. I'm sure I have, if I get some lawyer someday, I could be like, it's actually commentary, it's education, it's dissection. So it's, I think there's a little bit of a gray area there, especially yeah, nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Um, whenever I upload, you know, cause some people don't listen to podcasts. And I'm sure you can, one of the hardest things is like, Hey, listen to the podcast. And then you get people like, I don't know how to listen to the pod. Like my mom, I had to explain what it was to, you know, um, like what's a podcast? What, would I click the button? And yeah. so I, I upload them to YouTube as well. And I think 90% of the episodes that I upload to YouTube as just like, you know, a picture with, the, with the episode linked to it. Um, they get copyright blocked, you know, they don't get taken down, but you know, so on YouTube, it's it's very hard to find our podcast, but that's just for people that don't know how to listen to it on the actual gotcha. platforms. We, but, we, do, um, we do the same, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. The, our podcast might be screwed eventually, but for the time... <laughs> <I don't think> so. <laughs> um, but <laughs> for the first part of the question, it's basically... Uh, and the Kirky B thing, I'll, I'll bring it up, which was kind of a fun uh, forced pivot. Uh, same with James Gadsden. But the Big Fat Five is essentially, I bring on my favorite drummers... And hopefully I want to expand to songwriters as well, because a lot of times they have perspectives on what they look for in a drummer oh, yeah. that a drummer wouldn't need to hear. But I bring on my favorite drummers and we t we they bring in five examples of a specific fill, a specific groove, a certain part of a song, a choice that kind of form the way they play drums today. And then we play those in real time. And it's so fun because I get it like with, with, with Liberty – as we're talking, um, who Liberty DeVito, by the way, if you guys don't know, he played for Billy Joel's band for 30 plus years and was on 22 of his 23 top hits. And to be playing some of the stranger, which is the second record he played on with mm, Billy amazing. in real time. And I'm like looking at Liberty. We're like nodding our head while he's jamming to his own song. It was just one of those, Ben, just take a little mental picture. You're, you're bobbing your head to Liberty, but <laughs> I just bring him on and we just get a dissect their favorite songs, which is what I would love to do if I was backstage with them anyways. We just happen to be recording it. Um, and so the cool thing, so that's the Big Fat Five. And the cool thing about the way I worded it, which was, I thought it was kind of a bad thing, but it ended up being a good thing with James Gadsden and Kirky B. When I gave them the, the kind of the rundown of what the show was, I guess I worded it in this ambiguous way that they interpreted it as five songs that they had done that oh, yeah. formed their okay. career. And so that's why Kirky B and, and who's Kurt Biscara, yeah. who's played with Mick Jagger, Elton John, Alanis Morissette, um, Sarah McLaughlin, um, and James Gadsden, they all, they brought on their own songs and their own experiences, which was a cool pivot um, that I kind of let happen. Cause I, you know, when, when James sent me his like MP3s, James Gadsden, I didn't want to like get back to him and be like, actually, this isn't what I wanted. I'm just like, yeah, that's cool. I would love to hear you talk about, you know, anything that you did. Right, right. So right. that's why some of them are actually about the specific drummers, but for the most part, and I, I, it, I need to word it better, that uh, it's it's about their top five uh, influences. So, so yeah. Has, have you done that yourself? I mean, is there a way to kind of turn the tables 
uh, my how the turntables. No, that's was that from the office. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Me and Chris just uh, half our conversations are, are just trailer park boys. Like, ah, well, okay. let's water under the fridge or worst case Ontario. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with a drink in your hand. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want. I, I didn't know if it was going to be possible to do this to kind of like turn the tables on and and do that with you. It, it, well, it, the funny. Th- go ahead. Well, the funny thing is, actually, that was the first. So, again, when we started the podcast, it was called the Big Fat Five. Or, sorry, it was called the Big Fat Snare Drum Podcast. It comes yeah. out natural now. Um, and then about uh, maybe June of last year is when I switched it up to be Big Fat Five. And so the first episode that we actually did of this new format was actually me and Chris doing it. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. And so I actually did dissect. But if you want me to, I'm more than happy to try and remember those if that's what you're asking. Yeah, yeah. It, it, we did for a while there for our Patreon members, we had bon- our bonus content was yeah. des- five Desert Island records. And then, oh, cool. and then we, would, we would extrapolate that from the interview and post that on just like exclusive content. And, and oh, we, crap. I did not mean to steal your, your content. <laughs> no, no. This, uh, you know, I think we, we did that maybe two or three years ago. And oh, okay. that was fun. Was like, shit. No, that was fun to do. Um, and, and there were, I definitely got turned on to some records. Uh, that I hadn't before, uh, but it was it was just it was a side thing, you know. As we're, we're trying to like you know do do something, you know, uh, d- d- I don't know, incentivize uh, things. We were doing other different things, more educational type content. But uh, but no, I mean, c- c- can you talk about some of these things? Uh, may- maybe choose. Can you remember five, or maybe they've evolved uh, since? Well, we yeah, that. that's the kind of thing. When we first did it, it was supposed to be. Um, and again, this whole format has forced me to just be like, however you interpret it, let's just go with it, you know, with the flow. I don't, I'm trying to have less control over things. Um, but I, I did it kind of as the drummer I was at that moment, whether I listen to those songs still, um, it just kind of formed me into who I, like things that I do in my playing subconsciously that I'm like, oh, that's where that came from. Um, but yeah, my first one was from the song Ticket to Ride from the Beatles off the album Help, which is one of my favorite Beatles records. And uh, Ringo's drums were still wide open because, I mean, especially with Big Fat Snare Drum, we always kind of reference the Abbey Road cloth sound. Mm -hmm. But that record, Help, was still wide open toms. And it's like the second – I'm not sure if if, – I'm sure you're familiar with the song. Yeah, for sure. With with the the format of the song, it's – they have this chorus that repeats and then at the end of every tag – Ringo does this a different like fill to go back into the verse mm-hmm. and on the very last one there's a pause and he just does a rim shot on I'm assuming it's his Ludwig festival snare just cranked in this huge room but it's just a pause and then on the backbeat of four he just does a rim shot and it I remember as a kid I would wait for that part of the song I don't know why it just it's literally a quarter note <laughs> but mm-hmm. it was so impactful to me and I do it all the time yeah. space and then just a crack you know backbeat that every engineer hates um so that's that <laughs> and then number two was the song uh, sister golden hair by America yeah yeah and it's that it's that fill going into I think it's like uh-huh. halfway through the second verse yeah um the one two ready go dig it up dig it up dig it up boom and that was kind of like that smells like teen spirit where the drum fill is kind of part of the melody. Like it, it, you should have songwriting credit because everyone air drums that part of the song. Uh-huh. And so uh, that was, that was huge. 
Um, uh, of course, during the show, I went into way more in-depth reasons. Sure, sure. No, it, this is but, great, uh, but, but this, this is enough to kind of whet people's appetite and go. Exactly. Go there, yeah. Yeah, and the number three, let's see, uh, was Travis Barker. Um, he does this thing, especially in the song Mutt, where he does a hi-hat. Um, it would be a 16th note open right before a backbeat. So, Okay. It's just, it kind of makes the backbeat have a little more of a, I don't know, a, a, a pre-roll to it. Yeah. Um, or you could do halftime. What was the fourth one? My gosh. I'm trying to think. Um, I'll switch it up. Now I'll have new ones. I would say that uh, yeah, yeah. Levon does this a lot. And actually, um, uh, oh my gosh, what's the, what's the Billy Joel song? Um, the rock and roll. Um, still rock and roll to me. Oh my gosh, yes. Where they're both, um, and it's Levon from the band, which is, if you guys don't know Levon Helm, I'm so happy that you're finding his name for the first time through my voice. Go check out the band. Uh, and it's like my mission to make people love Levon, but he kind of has this New Orleans, you know, south south of the Mason-Dixon line swagger to his playing. Um, and so that playing, and then also in the song, Still Rock and Roll to Me, they're shuffle songs. But when a drummer does a straight fill, like yeah. I just it just tickles my fancy in every way, and I do that a lot. Oh, and and in rock and roll, uh, uh, still rock and roll, it's sixteenth straight sixteenth. Exactly. Man, it's, yeah. Man, it's so and great. those those the toms in that song are so they have that kind of almost slap back kind of feel to them. Mm-hmm. So fun. Uh, gosh, Liberty's the man. Um, number five. I would say uh, All I Need by Phil Selway. And if you guys listen to the podcast, I apologize how much I talk about Radiohead and Phil uh, in advance. And of course, it leaks over to this podcast. But the song All I Need is a good example of this. And also a most recent song that, I, that Matt in Class, who was just on our podcast, talks about. It's an Ash Sohn groove oh, wow. where yeah. to take out random hi-hat hits... Because I'm sure you and every drummer were growing up. It's like, oh, okay, if we're doing eighth note rock, once we start doing eighth notes in the hi hat, yeah. it has to be on every eighth note. Yeah. That's just the that's legal. You just, I mean, I think it's like the and, unless you're playing a you know, Stones song. The, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, but uh, yeah, so just being able to just just pull out hi hats every once in a while, the ta, you know, just randomly. And in the song "All I Need" by Radiohead, which is off in Rainbows. Uh, he does it on like the second verse. And it's just, again, it's those choices that you learn on the second day of playing drums. Uh, well, I guess not playing a hi-hat, you learn that when you're born. But, you know, just pull, <laughs> pulling stuff out as opposed to adding things to make them cool is is kind of the angle I want to go down yeah. these days. Just thinking so there you go. Now, that's great, man. And I, and I think this approach, again, and, and just to reinforce this idea that there are so many podcasts out there but i i want to encourage listeners that say you're into you know kurt pascara and you're like going down this rabbit hole and we haven't had a chance to have him on our show yet but like if you were to listen to a guest that we have like maybe you want to know more about bald man percussion you could you could listen to something that we have but then you can see on big fat five like 
they're on there too. And you guys are, everyone's going to take a different approach, but also with individuals, you really have this way of, of, of digging into what has inspired these players in a new way. And, um, no, man, I, 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 I think when I first started, uh, I'm friends with Rich Redmond here in Nashville. I don't mm. think you're allowed to be in Nashville and not be friends with Rich Redmond. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and now LA. Um, but he, uh, you know, I remember when I first started the podcast, I said, hey, man, I, I, I'd love to have you. And he goes, yeah, man, anytime. I said, well, you were just on another podcast, so it might be a while. Well, I don't think that way anymore because it's like mm. everybody has their unique approach. But no, I love that. And um. Uh, the thing about Levon, just to kind of hang on that, um, mm-hmm. we can I, hang on him all day, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I it, it's I always as um, as my younger son has gotten into music, he's studying vo- voice and guitar, and just and every time he plays something for me, either a band he's listening to that I've never heard of, or writing his own music, and I'm like, oh my god, this reminds me of this song, and then I just wear him out. But you know, we start talking about Americana and we talk about like the quintessential Americana band is the band is often referenced as that. And mm-hmm. I, I was like, you know, the, one of the most ironic things about the band being sometimes the quintessential Americana band is the only American in that band is the drummer. You know, exactly. Yeah, they're they're Canadian. Yeah. The rest of them are Canadian, you know, and uh, but. I just kind of want to say, okay, that's ironic, but also, son, the drummer kicks ass, okay? He defines this band. You know? uh, no, and it's funny that I think a big reason why he's such a songwriter drummer is because he was one of the main singers in the band. So he knows yeah, what yeah. a singer wants to hear and when to, you know, you'd be surprised. And I talk about this in the Leave on Helm episode. Um, which is kind of a tangent episode. It necessarily there wasn't necessarily the top five influences. It was just obviously, and unfortunately, Levon Helm has passed away, so I couldn't get him on to talk about his influences. But if I could use the platform of the podcast to get people to know more about him, I brought a fellow obsessy on the show, and we dissected uh, five Levon songs. But um, yeah, I think just he just. N- knowing or maybe to sing along to the songs that you love will show you how little you actually have to play for it to feel good whether you have a good voice or not even just lip sync to it or if you're alone in your practice room maybe sing i suck at singing but i still do it uh it it it's a cool way to see how not unimportant you are but how unimportant that little open hi-hat on the uh four really is this introduction to the big fat five and 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 that because i feel like i want people to go to this and hear more in especially the early episodes you guys talk about how the the, you know what the how the company started you you have Mm -hmm. uh chris on early on and then you guys do uh, a recap and you know that some different things like that but if you could just give us a brief overview on what it is that you do do you know um 
I love doing. I love listening to myself back. I always ask a question before you have a chance to answer it. I, I interrupt myself, um, <laughs> dude. I do that all the time. Half of my editing in my podcast, by the way, is me like asking a question and then like three minutes of a follow up qu- thing. Yes. Like Ben, just shut the hell up, man. dude. Dude, we are we are akin in that. <laughs> It'd be nice to know kind of what it is your role is with Big Fat Snare Drum, and um, obviously. You've mentioned that with the podcast kind of being a, a fun way to introduce people to Big Fat Snare Drum, but also use it kind of as a resource, kind of a, a backdoor into this this business that we've all become so familiar with and, and have enjoyed. But what else is there that you do with Chris uh, at Big Fat Snare Drum? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's and it's one that's hard to kind of uh, pinpoint because to give a little bit of a backstory uh, when it comes to how I met Chris. So I'm in a band, Eve Six, and Eve Six took a little bit of a break in the mid 2000s um, for a bunch of reasons that uh, maybe I'll get into in the Joe uh, Wong trap set. <laughs> it's that kind of a story. But uh, anyways, uh, when they got back together, John Siebel's the original guitar player who's currently back in the band now, was doing another project. So when Eve Six got back together, there was a guitarist position open. So Matt Coma, uh, who is an amazing songwriter, he's in Winnetka Bowling League. Uh, now he he wrote the song Clarity for Zed. He's, he's got a lot of, he's just that dude that is one of the best songwriters ever. Joined the band for a while. And Matt Coma, even though he has a different last name, is actually Chris's brother. Okay, And so while... Matt joined Eve Six for a few years. Chris Mazzarisi became really good with the Eve Six crew. And so when I joined the band uh, a few years back, uh, we, were in, we were on tour in Boston. And of course, Chris came to one of the shows to hang out because even though Matt wasn't in the band, they were all friends. So he you know, came backstage, hung out. And I was a huge fan of the product. And so that was at that time when I moved to LA in 2016, I still worked a serving job because I didn't really know anyone in LA. Mm-hmm. And so when I started to join Eve Six, it was about the time that it was getting busy enough for me not to need a second job, but also not secure enough that, you know, Eve Six isn't on the road 12 months out of the year. So I was like, all right, so I need to have a job that has a little more flexibility. And, but yeah, I just needed to network and meet more people. So when Chris was there, uh, just like any drummer, like you and me right now, you start talking drums and you come up for air and it's five hours later and you're like, (laughs) are we best friends now? (laughs) And so I wasn't thinking of a job. It was just, I really loved Chris and what he was doing. And he's such a rad guy, such a genuinely rad guy. And we exchanged numbers and I was like, dude, if you ever need any help with big fat man, like I love the product, man, just hit me up, dude. I'll help you out, whatever. And two weeks later, it was just one of those perfect storms where he said, Hey man, I am like two years behind on, so many emails and do you kind of want to just hop on and I'll pay you, you know, this amount for this many hours a week salary kind of thing and just help me get through that. And then we can kind of figure it out as it goes along. And I started initially as the artist relations guy, just to help him go through a lot of these endorsement emails, a lot of just tying up loose ends that, I mean, people think Big Fat Snare Gym is this huge company with this huge warehouse that spans multiple blocks because you see us in all the guitar centers, but it really is, me, Chris, and a few people that make the product. And then our distributor obviously does most of the heavy lifting, but it's still a really mom and pa operation. And so when I, when I joined on, I was like his like third employee and it kind of, we realized that it was working, that we would talk 
hours every day about new product ideas. And we were both just geeky drummers that like to tinker with things. So what I do now is uh, we run ideas off each other. We have, um, uh, I, I run the Instagram um, uh, so basically whenever you're talking to big fat snare drum, 90% of the time these days, it's me on the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, anytime you email info at big fat snare drum, any, anytime you contact the company, I'm kind of the conduit to Chris. If he needs to be approached about a certain you know topic and stuff, then we'll definitely, uh, bring him into it. But while he's busy running the, the business and the world, I'm kind of the liaison to any kind of client, you know, customer relations, and then, yeah, the podcast. And then we have a bunch of different, you know, the boring stuff, all the distribution stuff. And But it's funny when people ask me how they wanted me to be described for Big Fat. It's like, mm-hmm. just I'm the other guy, you know. <laughs> I'm the dude that I, I would like to think I make Chris's life easier. And uh, it's been many years, so I hope I am. But, yeah, I'm just kind of the every dude there. It's been a game changer uh, in the industry. I, I worked retail at Columbus Pro Percussion for five years before I moved to Nashville, and then I worked for Gary Forkham at Forks for a couple of years. Uh, my degree is in music merchandising. Uh, oh, awesome. I, I've, I've, I've seen it all. Uh, there would be demos of products that would come through and crazy stuff, and I'm like, wow, this is interesting, and... The owner How would fun be is like, that? yeah, and uh, the owner would be like, yeah, we're not carrying that. That's that's hilarious, you know. That's and then you'd see something like this is new and like wow, and then all of a sudden it would, it might be a game changer. And I, I, I'm nothing right now is super coming to mind, but I mean, Big Fat Snare Drum has is has been. I mean, I don't know anybody that doesn't have at least one that they're using off and on. I've got three different things that I use probably, you know, you know, 40% of the time in the studio. And, um, you know, for especially the way people are wanting their drums heard. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's been amazing. It's been really great. And uh, the products, the number of products that has that are now available is, is mind boggling. It's, it's really amazing. Well, it's, it's funny that, and, and I don't think Chris will mind me saying this, but half our conversations are about new products mm-hmm. and my God, you should hear some of the crappy ideas we come up with, <laughs> <laughs> you know, most of them are pretty, pretty like, yeah, that's not going to work or, you know, cause there's a lot of products and companies uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'll say it anyways, you know, that make problems that don't exist and then solve those oh, yeah. problems that don't oh, exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we we will like find ourselves like, are we doing that right now? But yeah, it's it, it's been fun. And obviously we uh, we're expanding a lot of fun things coming out outside of maybe just drum heads. So uh, I would say another one of my roles at Big Fat Snare Drum is to just be uh a student for Chris and how he navigates Mm -hmm. the world. He's Mm -hmm. just become the biggest mentor to me. And whenever you're uh, buying big fat snare drum, I mean, just know that you're buying it from one of the best fathers, husbands, friends. He's such a good guy. Um, Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I love, I love working for him, although I consider him a friend as opposed to a boss. It's weird to think of it like that. Yeah. That's what my kids say to me. Um, That's probably bad parenting. Uh, you might have already kind of answered this question in, in some way, but I mean, what has been this experience working with Chris been? I mean, what have you taken away from? What have you learned about yourself? Uh, what have 
what other ideas or skills have you taken away from this whole experience? You're like, okay, this is great. I'm going to use this for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, the thing about Chris is he's always so positive um, about just like, it's fine. We'll work it out. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Just move on, you know, and not so much in a rush things along thing, but he is so focused on like one of my biggest mentors from afar is, is Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't agree with a lot of what he says, but a lot of what he does say, I agree with, I guess. Um, I don't know who, who just that, I don't know who that is. He is, uh, he's an early investor in, in like Twitter and a bunch of stuff. He's, he's a capital, you know, our venture capitalist gotcha. runs a marketing firm, VaynerMedia. But I first knew him from, I took a sabbatical from drums. I'm 33 now, but in my mid twenties, I was in a bunch of bands that were, you know, punk bands. And I was kind of, you know, burning the candle at both ends, if you will. And so I actually went back to school, ended up going to school for winemaking, worked in the wine industry for a while. And before getting back into it, actually, thanks to Mike Herrera from a band called MXPX, I worked with him for a little bit, got me back into music, quit, quit wine school. And that, you know, here I am today. But um, yeah, Gary's just basically, um, he was a wine guy at first. He built his dad's wine business. So that's how I knew him. But now it's funny. Most people know him as kind of this Tony Robbins guru, if you will. But mm-hmm. um, I've been with him since the beginning. Um, but anyways, his, one of his big mantras is that 99% of shit does not matter, you know? And one of my biggest things that Chris has taught me is that really, man, like what we're worrying about right now, what you're emailing me about, what you're stressing about does not matter at all. Mm. And so he always thinks just very, not black and white in like a negative way, because he is very nuanced in a lot of his decisions and he really cares about his customers, but just his ability to go, Oh, that didn't work. Okay. Move on. Oh, that didn't work. Wow. That's funny. Let's move on. I need that. You know? Um, yeah, well, it's something I, I try to work on and I haven't, I mean, he reminds me every day is what I'm saying. It's a, it's a, (laughs) it's a river of, of, uh, influence. It's It's not, uh, practice. It's a daily practice. Um, but yeah, also this is something I'm not good at, but he is so good at. And we talked about it on the big fat progress episode where he has taught me when to put the phone away and when to just be like, this is my time. Um, because with Instagram and with me, with big fat snare drum, it's weird. I have this job because one of my biggest anxieties is when there's a little red notification or if there's something like, if you look at my home screen, it's just, there's no red notifications on it. It has to go away. And so to be in a job where it's like the postal service, where there's always a message to answer. There's always something to, you know, comment on or email Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. blast He's, he's told me that even though I'm salary and it's, it's nice to know that whenever he calls me, I'm kind of available. He's like, dude, you got to put that phone away at a certain night and just be like, today is the rest of the night is for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's really good at that because yeah, it's, it's a really slippery slope, especially with, you know, nowadays you have to be your own marketer. You have to be your own manager. You have to be your own promoter. Uh, it's, it's hard for anyone to turn that off and realize like, what's this all about? You know, that's why this pandemic has been amazing. Cause it's really made me feel like, why am I doing the things I'm doing? Why do I have to be on tour all the time? Why do I always have to have something in the horizon? You know, like why? Um, and it's been fun to figure that out and I'm still figuring it out, but yeah, it, it is fascinating. And, and, and I encourage people to go to that episode. I, I listened to that one. I, I remembered because I related so much to that. It's kind of one of the reasons why I started the podcast back in 2015 was 
I, I was on the road and I didn't have a lot to do in between gigs. And, and I just, I'm like, I need to be creating something. I need to be doing mm -hmm. something and, and, and very much that personality. So not to go too far into it, but a, a close friend of mine, Mike Jackson, who helped me start the podcast, uh, he's, we're in constant discussions with like, man, you need to like not fill up your day every minute, every hour, because in, in many ways, each, like you mentioned, all of us are, we're our own business, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so there's always things to do. And you mentioned in that episode that you can, uh, if you're self-employed, if you're running your own business, you could work 24-7 and still not get everything done. And at some point, yep. well, Chris talks about that. And it's like, you have to put an end to it. And, and it's like, and and often when you do, it's, I mean, the simple analogy would be, uh, it, I'm trying to remember who, it was somebody we had on recently that Zach interviewed and you had on as well, uh, is like you track drums and then maybe you go away, you come back the next day and you listen to the take or the takes that you did with fresh mm -hmm. ears. It's like, take a break. It doesn't have to be boom, 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 but give your life a break. And then, mm -hmm. you know, it, oh, you talk about, uh, you know, like, okay, we were supposed to be practicing, but we're going to go out, we're going to hang out, we're going to shoot some pool and have some drinks, and then we're going to come back, and, like, music is better. It's sweeter. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I also reference to, and I've, I've talked about this in the podcast, so if you guys listen to this, then listen to the Big Fat Five, I'm sorry if I'm a repeater. But um, <laughs> no, we need a lot to of it. times, it, yeah, a lot of times if you step away from what you did and you reapproach it with not remembering the moment when you recorded it that you were so hard on yourself it actually sounds different so the story i'm going to repeat is i was i i have a roommate and there's a studio that i'm in right now that we both kind of work out of and i was coming down to do laundry one day and he, he was working on this song and he's like hey can you just go in the studio just set up like an sm57 and just play just play like a a, f a few minutes of just this beat at 140 whatever bpm and then i'll just use it you know because i don't want to listen to some addictive drum loop forever and i was like sure so i go in there play it obviously come out listen to what i did i'm like i hate everything i hate myself i never <laughs> want to play drums again i'm the worst drummer and so do my laundry go back upstairs and i just don't think of it you know and then like two weeks later, I come back down and he's working on the same song. I've forgotten about it, but I was doing laundry and I'm like, oh, dude, that, that, that's a cool loop. What's, what is that? And he's like, dude, that's you. And mm -hmm. he didn't like quantize it or whatever. And it's not like it was like an amazing song. It was like a very Jim Gordon style beat, just, you know, just pushing it down the road. But when you don't associate it with yourself, then you're, then you can assess it from this Oh, yeah. subjective thing and you're like oh i like this feel that i thought i hated because i thought i did it mm -hmm. um and so i don't know why i brought that up but uh it's no no it's, it's true. fun to yeah <laughs> it's yeah it's it's good to be not hard on yourself um when it comes to that stuff so try and Try and tie that into where it made sense to what you said before, but <laughs> well, <laughs> or edit this, it to where you say, Ben, say something super profound. No, no, this is, this is fun. Uh, and this, I think this <laughs> is taking into a, some profound dark space, but, uh, I've got, you know, some CDs that I played on maybe 15, 20 years ago. And mm -hmm. some, 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 
some of the recordings that I've done are with other drummers. So I'll be on like four tracks, another drummer will be on four tracks. And I'll like, yeah. I'm like, man, I remember this songwriter. That was a lot of fun. And I'll put it on or I'll listen to it or I'll find them on Spotify. I'm like, I haven't listened to this record forever. And there's something so refreshing about it. And there's times that I'm like, did I, was I the drummer on this? Because the credits aren't real clear. I'm like, sure. Is that me on this track? Or is that the other drummer? And what my brain is trying to do is trying to say, should I hate this or should I like it? In other words, Dude, exactly. is this me? Because if it's me, I don't like it. If yeah. it's not me, it's cool. And that's <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> Oh, dude, yeah. You're like, I do I like that I went to the floor tom there, or do I think it's the worst idea in the world? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, to it's, me, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then I pulled it from this weird album that I hate, and like it's the most generic thing in the world. But yeah, dude, it's uh, not even. That's 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 the thing that I think is important to overcome, and I think it does circle back to what Chris talks about. It's like you just have to let shit go. And yep. uh, I mean, early on in this podcast, even my conversation with Eddie Bears, I was struggling with a band that I was in the studio with. And I'm like, they didn't include the loop in the second verse like we talked about. It makes no sense. And he's like, that's not your job. You go in yeah. and you play drums and then it's not yours anymore. It's theirs to work with, you know, release, mm -hmm. release the stars. It's in the universe, you know, let it go. Um, well, it's, it's so funny you say that. And I'm like trying to be on my high horse. Like, yeah, cause that's what I do. I definitely <laughs> let things go. And then I record like 45 takes of every intro I ever do. I'm like, hello, hello. Welcome to big. Oh, that was stupid. Hello. Hello. I oh, was stupid. Hello. Hello. Oh my God. You know, so yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure how many can, takes you do. That you might be a relate. one take wonder, but. <laughs> oh no, no. I'm afraid of when this pandemic is over and I have to actually go in the studio with other people. And oh, not yeah. do the 750 takes that I'm allowed to do at home. You know, it's like, dude, you get to. We're moving on. I'm like, no, that's not how it's done. I totally know what you're saying, but I almost, I, I, I miss that superhero element that comes yeah. out. And I hope I'm not alone in this. But no. like when you, no, when you're, you're right. playing live or when there's other people and it's like sink or swim yeah. in a weird way. I'm not saying I, I always nail it, but I, I get things done better when I know. Cause it's like, when you're in the studio by yourself, you miss this one little, like, like you hit the shaft of the stick in a weird way on the hi-hat. And you're like, I know I'm going to hate this if I listen back. So you just stop playing and record stop. again. Yeah. Undo recording. Exactly. Go back through. Yep. But it's like when there's other people around, you kind of force yourself in that element that you can't necessarily get into when you're by yourself. On a drummer community Facebook page, uh, somebody said, "I just moved to LA. I want to try and get into the scene. I want to. I want to find some work. I want to work with bands. How do I get started?" And I had a listener tag me and say, first of all, listen to this podcast," which was, which I, I'm like, "Bless you, son." Um, I thought that was really nice because we have a lot of LA drummers that have been on the show, but it also kind of tying in with that is there anything you can speak to 
as far as someone that is interested in or what to expect from working in the indie music scene? Yeah. Um, well, we, we had referenced Kirk E.B. or Kurt Biscara before, and he has given great advice over and over again about, especially in the music scene in, in L.A., you don't necessarily want to meet drummers because you don't get gigs from drummers. You want to... You want to get gigs from the keyboardists and the and the bass players, and those are the people that are looking for drummers. So not to not hang out with drummers, but it's easy. The online the the drum community is so much easier to get into. But I would say to befriend people that don't play drums more often yeah, than not. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and yeah, just really take inventory and do it multiple times a day, a year, a week. You know, of what why you're doing what you're doing in the scene. Do, do, do you, do you want to be a someone that just is the hired gun or do you want to be a band or a guy that networks to meet that band and then become, you know, uh, like a, a Brian Devendorf from the national, like, do you want to be in a band like that? That's just like, it's, he's the drummer for that band. Um, so, uh, yeah. Just f- knowing what you really want and what you want out of the industry and figuring that out is the first hurdle because a lot of people are just well, I want to, I want to be an artist, but then they end up saying yes to a lot of gigs that don't make them happy mm-hmm. because they're like, well, I'm playing drums, you know, so that I should be happy. But then that goes down this rabbit hole of they're not fulfilling what is in their heart of what makes them happy about playing drums. So um, I would say, uh, for me, I still until I got the Eve Six gig. I didn't want to say yes to every gig because it's really hard these days to maintain that passion for drums. And that was really precious to me. It was so precious. If anything, it was probably the most precious thing, that excitement that I had that is really hard to maintain. So it's, I don't think it's bad for you to have a side gig so that you can say yes to more gigs you want to play as opposed, you know, cause I had a buddy who, um, we were kind of commiserating when I was still working my day job of, yeah, man, but you're like, all you do is play music. I'm talking to him. All you do is play music, man. I'm so happy you're making your income just off music. Yeah. And he's like, well, dude, I have to say yes to so many gigs I hate because I only make money off music. So getting out of the mindset that having a day gig means you're not as successful is, is the wrong thing. So it's all about perspective, right? figuring out what you want. Um, and then befriending people that aren't necessarily drummers, uh, but just, yeah, going to shows. I mean, maybe I'm giving the most generic worst advice ever, but that's what worked for me. No, no, no. I, I think, and, and this has come up recently, um, it's really important to kind of figure out what feeds your soul and, yes. and, 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 and follow that path. Now, I, I'm an example of somebody, and it's great because I feel like Zach and I have this kind of polar opposite. He's discovering that about himself. It's like, I want mm-hmm. to find what it is that feeds my soul and and concentrate on that and be more selective about the people that I play with. I, I've, I would say that I've kind of dug myself into a hole, but at the same time, growing a family and, and having a somewhat domestic domesticated life and, and live in a music scene that... Uh, allows me to like work a lot and make a living at music has always been kind of my mindset. And sure that work has worked for me. Now I have done some shitty gigs and, but, but most of it has been, been great. And, and I think it's, it has more to do with my mindset than 
than than the gigs themselves. And but I but but that's something that I I saw early on, and and I think about it's like man, I wonder about what it would be like to just really have a very specific thing that I want to do, and I, I, it never occurred to me. But I think it really is it is important to do that because especially if you have the flexibility, you're at a place in your life and age, you don't have the financial burdens, go ahead and do that now. Get started. And sure. and also this has come up in this podcast, we're working drummers. We, ha- there's, we have to get the side hustle from time to time or, it, or full-time side hustle to do the work that you want to do, to play with the people that you want to play with. That is amazing that's wonderful that should be celebrated and that's and 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 i love that that's i mean because that's what made you happy that was your goal you assessed that i wanted to be the 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 hired gun the side guy because that was so so many of my friends that they are they were like dude i don't want to be in a band i love being the side i love being the chameleon and forcing myself to adapt that's half the fun and that's like you've assessed that and that's great and to almost be like my own devil's advocate um it's okay to take the gigs that you might not like at the beginning because that's what I did. And I would probably do the exact same thing again. So I guess I'm kind of going against my own advice. But uh, the reason why I'm in Eve 6 right now, a very, a very uh, condensed version is I was working at that place or the, the restaurant I was working at, which is actually La Poubelle, if you guys want to know, it's in Hollywood. <laughs> and there was this guy, I won't name his name, but he would come in. He found out that I was a drummer. It's a very kind of like musicians hang out there kind of space. And he heard I was a drummer and he's like, hey, dude, we should jam together sometime. You know, I play with A, B and C and all these artists like that he had toured with. We're, you know, well-known artists. He's like, I'm doing my own solo thing. But whenever he'd come in, he was, you know, always four or five pints in. And I was like, I don't know if I want to be involved with this guy. Um, great guy, but I was like, he's always three sheets of the wind and whatever. And so finally, after like four months of hounding me, he's like, dude, let's just practice for like, let's just jam for like an afternoon. So we did, went to a space. He has a great voice. And he's like, can you just record this demo for me at this studio? We're doing like a production demo. So I did. And that's where I met Kenny Carkeet, who at the time was in a band called AWOL Nation. And he loved my drumming and wanted me to come back for another session a few months later. And then I ended up joining his band called fitness, which Max from Eve six is in that band as well. And so Mm -hmm. I joined fitness. And then when Eve six's drummer left, of course I was the, you know, one to be asked. So saying yes to that guy, I didn't want to hang out with ended up getting me a better gig, you know? So yeah, you got to pay your dues. You got to say yes to gigs you don't want, but at some point you got to take inventory of what makes you happy. Um, and, and yeah, so don't listen to anything I said at first, only listen to that. <laughs> if your value as a drummer is like, oh, I'll do it for 25 bucks. Guess what? Every other drummer that in that songwriter, that producer's eyes, then, then you're only worth 25 bucks. So you're not only doing yourself a disservice, you're, you're doing all your peers a disservice. I love that perspective and I will add to it. I don't remember where I heard this, but it was when I first when I was first moving to LA and the advice I got was actually from a non-songwriter or a non-drummer, it was a songwriter. And cuz it's it's always hard if you haven't if people are listening and you're a drummer and you are just trying to branch out and you haven't had that like 
I'll play with your band, but I need to make this amount of money because you're like, it's hard to have that conversation because you don't want to turn the people off because they're used to working with people for free. There was a songwriter and he's like, a lot of people don't talk about money right off the bat because they're worried that that's going to make people lose respect for Mm -hmm. them. But he was like, if a drummer, if I ask a drummer to play with me or go on tour or whatever, and one of the first things they they do after the pleasantries, and oh, I'd love to, they don't talk about money. then I lose respect for them. Not like in like a screw this guy, but in a business way, I'm like, why are you not asking me how much I'm going to pay you? And Mm. so knowing that there are just as many people that you would work with that have that perspective makes it so much easier for me to now be like, oh, I'd love to, I am available. What's the pay? What's the budget? And I have no problem talking about that right away. Yeah. Um, Because it just just sets a, 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 I value my time. I respect myself, which means I'm going to respect your gig. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah. And you can, then you can move on. You can move on from there and make music and, and create that bond that's necessary. Man, I I can't tell you how fun this has been. Uh, I I appreciate uh, Zach making this happen. Lots of love his way. He's dealing with some family things and I'm taking over the reins this next month. Um, So I'm sending love his way. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I appreciate him setting this up. I think we're going to be speaking again, maybe from the other end. I'm not really sure. Um, I would love that. Yeah. So you guys have to come on and find out uh, your guys' big fat five. Okay. Um, I have enjoyed listening to you, uh, over the, you know, the time that you guys have been putting out the podcast and playing a little bit of catch up in preparation for this, just so enjoyed your approach. And, uh, I encourage everybody go check this podcast out. Um, I would say go get some, uh, big fat snare drum stuff, but I, I, you probably already, you probably have stuff, but there's more stuff there you don't have. So you need to go to the website (laughs) and see it. Thank you. <laughs> See how I just saved that? I just turned around. And yeah, this is great. <laughs> yeah. Buy our stuff, even if you have more stuff. Buy yeah, more yeah, stuff. yeah. Uh, I'm overdue. I'm overdue. Um, but man, I, I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you and um, I hope you have a, a great weekend. You too, man. Thank you so much. This was a blast. Awesome, dude. And you probably got to go because you've got another podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I have like 9,000 podcasts. Yeah, they're actually all, they're all in queue. Yeah, no. <laughs> I actually, today I'm going to be sitting in front of my computer editing another podcast of Madden Class for the Big Fat Five. So okay. that's my afternoon. Bless you. Well, do your stretches and uh, take care of yourself <laughs> and not too much vinegar. All right. See you, man. All right. Talk to you soon, man. Bye-bye. Bye. So there you have it. My conversation with Ben Hiltzinger. That was a lot of fun. Uh, again, I encourage you to check out Big Fat Five. His approach is is unique and informative and entertaining. So check out the podcast Big Fat Five with Ben Hiltzinger. And as things open up and you get a chance to go see Eve Six, go check out Ben's playing as well. It was fun to talk to uh, another podcast host. And next week, as I carry the torch for the podcast, while Zach is taking some uh, much-needed time and attention uh, towards his family, right now I'm uh, kind of steering the ship on this podcast uh, for this month. And so next week I will be back with you in your feed with another podcast host, Joe Montague who is a uh, British drummer 
and he is someone you might recognize on Instagram. He runs a couple things, and one of the things is called All You Need Is Drums. I'm super excited to be speaking with him and bring this to you. We're going to talk about Ringo. We're going to talk about the Beatles. We're going to talk about hosting a podcast, getting into recording the way it was done in the 60s, whether it's drums or otherwise. Uh, so check out next week with Joe Montague. That's going to be a fun one. But for now, everyone, stay safe, stay sane. Thanks for listening, and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.